this is exactly the phase we're right in right now. Everybody's mm. working on this transition and how do we build the industries of the future? Hello, welcome to On The Edge, a podcast all about making unexpected connections everywhere and anywhere. My name is Roland Harwood, and in each episode we talk with someone who's making sense of our increasingly connected world. In today's conversation, I connected with Hager Barnes. She's director at Innovation Norway, an organization that strives to build industries of the future. She's based in New York, where she's lived for over 20 years, and she oversees operations in the United States, Canada, and Brazil. She sits on the board of the Nordic Innovation House and Norwegian-American Chamber of Commerce. I connected recently with Hager and was really interested to talk to her about cross-cultural collaboration between countries, and in particular around green technologies to address the climate emergency. So I started out by asking her, how are the United States and Norway different when it comes to innovation? Enjoy. In the US, you have the, in many senses, you have the need to innovate. You know, you have the need to create something new and and you Mm -hmm. need to survive. So you need to create a business for yourself and you have uh, the culture of independencies. In Norway, we are are very fortunate. You know, we have a very safe social system. We have a really good economy at the moment. So there's not an urgency or a sense Mm -hmm. of a need to, to innovate or create something, but we do. Because we have and we live in these harsher conditions, if you want to, we're using natural resources, we're using what is around us to actually create something. And then we're seeing if something like in the oil and gas industry, as we are now transitioning, for example, Mm. over to renewable energy sources, etc. We're taking that skill set that we have because we're really good and we have spent ages now in the offshore industry, in in the maritime industry, uh, or to develop engineers with unique skill sets. So we're taking that now and saying, okay, how can we use that skill set in other sectors and other industries to look into the, to both renewable energy sources, but other smarter technological solutions, such as in the healthcare industries. Um, so I think it's definitely based on cultural interactions and what you need to do. Well, they say necessity is the mother of invention or exactly. innovations. I'm just curious, what can the US learn from the way innovation happens in Norway and vice versa? Are there things that both countries do particularly well that that perhaps the other country can benefit from or learn from in your experience? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things that is, is true in Norway is that you have a big a level of trust. You have a trust in the system that it works. And it's driven often. Innovation and developments is driven by this collaboration between the government, between corporates and the people, the locals. So when it's driven there and the trust, you can see the processes, you believe in the processes, and then you commit to the processes. So that goes for anything from funding, you know, to research and development. It's not perfect by any means, but when you have this, you have the mechanisms that work. We can make this happen and put people together. And when you put people together, things happen. And then the government learns. 
the, the policyholders learns, the corporates learns, the corporates want this innovation to happen. They want to mm. know what these smart new minds are coming up with, what the research and, and educational communities are working on. So it's getting the different sort of layers of society together to see where you can how you can drive the innovative processes. It's different in the US because it's so big. Part of that could be maybe localized. You need to have the industry itself drive the development of, uh, of new sort of technologies and sectors and opportunities in the market, but the mm. government need there to be there to support. I mean, I wonder whether as a smaller country of 5 million people, a business in Norway knows that 5 million people isn't a big enough market for most companies and most businesses, whereas the US has such a huge home market. Is the sort of collaboration style, given the maybe different levels of trust that exist, is it different? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, size matters. And that's why I'm sitting in New York. Yeah. Uh, we realize that the home market is way too small. So we need our companies to look at bigger market to scale and grow and become mm. uh, companies that can both employ and bring revenues back to Norway. So what we're doing is, is that we're putting this into a system where we help this economies and businesses of the future and mm. we help them get the, both the educational fundamental, the competence and the skill set to grow and scale successfully, to build that properly. And then we help them when they come into the market, what opportunities lies in the market? How can they effectively operate in the US? You know, what does it take to be successful in this market? How do they compete with the US or the global companies that are here and within the sector? Mm. Should they enter this sector? Do you know? Do they? Do we have competitive advantages? Part of our job is to look into the U.S. and see, okay, clear opportunities. Whether it's either government tenders or a large enough market, there's a need for these kinds of solutions. And we see that we have competencies. We have companies in Norway that can deliver to these solutions. So we are trying to bring those companies, what we call sort of the high potential companies, to the market and say, mm-hmm. this is opportunity area. But to be ready to take this opportunity to compete. You need to have your company in order. You need to have your systems in order. You need to uh, have your staff being rigged to take advantage of this. And you ha- need to have your right messaging. So we're trying to match the opportunity areas in the market. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'd love to sort of dive into a few examples of companies that are doing that well. Am I right in saying that EV electric vehicle penetration is now... It's huge, isn't it, across Norway? What, uh, do you happen to know what the percentages are now? It's, it's really quite remarkable. Yes, and that's a part of our, um, I'm going to say, advantages, again, of being yeah. also an energy nation um, yeah. and very focused on energy. We actually have 54% of all new vehicles bought yeah. in Norway today are electric. It's growing, and a lot of that is based on the wealth from the people themselves, but it's also driven by the industry itself. And it's actually not so much on land, but on water. Started many years ago, and we are a shipbuilding nation. You know, we are a very yeah. maritime focused nation. And they started looking into creating hybrid ferries and boats. And now we have electric ferries running on our pristine fjords as well as up in the Arctic. So there's a lot of things happening in that so sustainability space. But again, for electrification, it's also built on being a country that has abundancy of hydropower. So, so it's built on, on different incentives from the government as that will and the, the mm. understanding. And when yeah. you then can get some tax incentives 
of driving an, an electric vehicle or take an electric ferry and it's actually free or much mm. more reasonable for you. You can drive in an HOV lane or you get the tax incentives or, you know, charging stations are everywhere and they might be free to charge, you know. But that's really interesting. It sounds like from what you've just said that it's driven more by business and uh, people's uh, desire for a post-oil kind of more sustainable future. Is that is that correct? Have I understood that correctly? Yeah, it it is. It's of course anything. It, incentives to drive cheaper helps, and it's cool cars. Yeah. And but but it is also driven that Tesla was smart enough that they came mm. in and so okay, so this country is actually willing to give incentives, you know, and they, they give uh, there was uh, cars in Norway expensive. So when you're buying a, a now a um, diesel car or a regular gas car, it's ridiculously expensive. But yep. an electric car is much more uh, reasonable to buy. Mm. So, and Tesla took advantage of that. So there's more Teslas in Norway per capita than thinking than anywhere in the world. Well, Tesla yeah. is actually an expensive car in the U.S. This also became trendy. You know, it becomes you creating that sort of acceptance in society that it's it's cool, it's trendy. You're doing something mm. right, but it's also you know on par with with the trends. So I think the combination again, the combination of the people wanting it, getting some incentives to doing it, and initiatives from the government. But all of these things and you know most notably with cl- the climate emergency require countries to work together companies to work together no no single country no single company can tackle this on their own as as fantastic as you know tesla is or uh, you know or norway is in terms of uh, its adoption of electric vehicles so how i guess how optimistic are you we have uh, you know in the united kingdom we're sort of excited about the the big summit later this year cop 26 where people will be coming together governments will be coming together businesses will be coming together to be setting targets around getting to net zero, given the leading position that Norway is playing in some of these areas, how Norway can maybe help other countries and maybe accelerate the adoption of some of these technologies. I'm hopefully optimistic. There's, there's a lot we can definitely learn from each other. And I think that's the, the clue. We need to get that le- learning and sharing much more evident, implemented. And for Norway's sake, we are very ambitious. We have uh, clear sustainability goals. We are mandated to follow the SDGs. So, so it is slowly getting more and more integrated into the way both we as a government entity and the companies run their businesses. There's getting more and more education, which I also think is a key element in global work to get more sustainable and get more companies and businesses and industries to become sustainable and actually be more profitable by doing it. That is something we need more of moving forward. But for Norway, it has definitely helped that it's mandated by the government. We work with it for many years and it's coming mm. more and more of these initiatives and guidelines. We have a now a green shipping or green maritime policy by 2030. All or most of our um, ferry fleet or boats should be partly or a hybrid or fully electric zero carbon emission. You know, we, we're trying to get all public transportation you know, by a certain year, like Oslo, our capital has very, very uh, ambitious goal that 2040, they want all public transportation to be electric, zero carbon emission. So that means that we need to work towards that, that we need to sort of pull together to get there. Uh, so regardless of what industry or sector or area you work in, you have a, a plan or an agenda or a mandate that you mm. need to follow. It helps drive us in the same direction. It helps us ask the right questions. But I do think, again, if we can open up some more challenge, uh, channels of communication across 
industries because there's a lot of good things happening in mm. other countries that we might not know about and there's a learning and failure process there that is hugely valuable yeah well for me this comes back to a little bit what we were talking about earlier around sort of competitive and collaborative business cultures because i think for sort of bilateral or you know international collaboration if norway does well it's kind of good for britain and yeah. hopefully vice versa it's not a zero sum game it's in all of our interests for you know others to succeed in these measures as well so, yeah i don't know how we do that but that's why i was interested one of the reasons i was interested to talk to you because you're obviously bridging the culture mm. of two countries and have observed that from different lenses i've got i've got several questions for you so first question was the trade offs between maybe the short term financial gain and profit versus the longer term you know social impact or well, is it a trade off or do you think the two can reinforce each other and can you think of any examples of companies or organizations that are doing good in the world but also you know profiting very well at the same time uh, for some it's definitely a trade off but i do think you know if you're going to survive you need to build profitable industries for sure Mm. Uh, and I do think a lot of that in the long run, it could be costly in the short term or it has to be a transition for a lot of companies. I do think that the long term win is that this is actually something that we need, but it's something that the, the customers want. Mm. And we knowing that the educated customer that's growing up today, they want it and they yeah. will require it. There's a total different mindset of the consumer that are growing up now. They are looking at sustainability first and they don't understand why not. So I think that drives a lot of the innovation. I think larger companies, large, larger organizations is seeing that. Um, I would also, if you're looking at one company that is in the way and in the process of actually being successful, it's our own Equinorm, you know, which is an oil and gas company. It's a state-owned company. But they are mm -hmm. transitioning now. They, we're still an oil and gas nation, but we're trying to use our skill set and our knowledge or something where we can develop renewable resources and, and industries and technologies um, for the future. So they're shifting mm. a lot of that into offshore wind. They're taking their knowledge with them. They're sharing their knowledge. They're buying local. They're here in the U.S., but they're operating on local terms in the U.S. Also helping that industry knowledge, sharing that, and developing something that's or a transfer of knowledge to, to an ecosystem that might not have it today. I'm really keen to dig a bit deeper around how do we design for that transition? Because it strikes me, especially post-pandemic, that we're going to go through a, a huge major shift in lots of different ways we need to in a short space of time. And that's going to be challenging. So just coming back to you know the electric vehicle uptake uh, in Norway, I don't know over what period of time that occurred. So what can we learn maybe in the UK about how you design that transition, whether it's electric vehicles or or shipping or oil and gas and, and sort of get from the current state to, to the future state? What have you learned about transitions about how to do that well? It's a very interesting question because this is exactly the phase we're right in right now. Everybody's mm. working on this transition and how do we build the industries of the future? One way it can work is that we are actually funding these clusters and networks locally in Norway. So we're looking at innovative communities. We're trying to look at battery. We need to build up an ecosystem for batteries. How do we get all the right entities and how do we get all the right organizations and institutions and stakeholders together? And how do we create an innovative community that can build a sustainable battery industry? 
putting people together so that they can actually get funding to start thinking mm. about creative ideas. So I mentioned this sort of electric ferry from the research institution in, in, in Trondheim. You know, so they're testing that now and they're working with the maritime authorities. So, so how mm. do we operate? And, you know, if we get an autonomous, so how do you work with the regulatory body? How do you work with the investment community? Another thing that we're also doing as we're shifting this is, is again, that sharing and testing of solutions. We had, among other, uh, New York City and New York State and a visit to Norway to look at charging. Uh, in New York City, it's, it's very problematic to, to actually charge your, your car or get gas. Or you can't even park, you know, along mm. the streets. How do you get charging stations, you know, when they're private building? They looked at how we actually, the infrastructure that was in, in also in the capital where we built, we have a parking garage under Castle, which can take a lot of cars and there's tons mm. of charging stations. How uh, We actually have them, uh, the system through when you go on the highways, actually how you create gas station that's like a mini supermarket or a cafe. But I do think uh, that whole transition is a testing and trial and error phase at the moment. It's getting the industry together with the research and the funding, you know, the government mm. will to actually fund and give it time as well as a sense of urgency. It sounds like you're using experimentation and sort of prototyping to learn and then presumably implementing the successful technologies or solutions. But then, of course, in order to learn, you, you have to do stuff that doesn't work as well. And how do you manage expectations around that? How do you raise capital with that more experimental approach? You know, we have government funding mechanisms. So we help companies. We can fund them from a growth stage. We can give them mentorship and help. But we also yeah. have these, um, uh, this assignment from the government to create mm. these clusters or networks. And we use the industry themselves. The government is not the leader or the, the project manager of these, uh, of these clusters and these networks. We're actually getting the industry themselves involved. So we're getting the, the smart people that knows how to do this or have a clear idea or a clear vision. Yes. You're co-investing, so yeah. you're de-risking the investment in that yes, case. exactly. But then presumably that is married with kind of regulatory incentives or other rules and regulations that maybe incentivize people to invest more into these yeah. areas or um, exactly. expand into those areas. Yeah, so um, there's clear guidelines for what we uh, need and in a return, but we can take a higher risk on some of the, the funding that we give. I definitely feel more optimistic speaking to you. There's a lot we can learn in the UK from your experience. I'm sort of hesitate to talk about politics, but, you know, the UK has <laughs> exited recently from the European Union. And so going out on its own, but Nor Norway has always plowed its own kind of furrow and its own identity. And what what is your views about small countries in an increasingly globalized world? What, where are the tensions or opportunities for a country like Norway to sort of nav navigate that and and not get drowned out as well by uh, you know increasingly global forces that influence all of our lives? We have to look at the different sort of settings of of, of each country. Like we have mm. been very fortunate. We are in a very nature rich. Part of the world you know we're in a yeah. prosperous part of the world you know we we have this relative stability so we have in many cases had both time and opportunity mm. to build industry we have had time and opportunity and financial 
backing and, and coverage to to mm. test and change and be in a sense more idealistic you know like mm. we're saying we want to be sustainable we want to live in a sustainable world we want to protect mm. our country and and our society and our culture and all for the future and for future mm. generations and then we have to look at sustainable uh we have to develop this nation you know we have very very um strong uh will to create livable uh communities all through our countries so we're mm. not we have small t- cities you know also our capital i think is half a million people and so so there's smaller smaller cities and they spread out we're a long country we're only five million people but it's a long country yeah. very nature rich with fjords and mountains and all if we get people to live in these smaller communities and get thriving industries in these smaller communities mm. they build that based on where they are you know they mm. build on their local skill set the local opportunity areas but also what nature around them give them so that mm. combined with the support of government i think that also helps us drive both the innovative landscape that we have created but also who we are Mm. But I would also say that that plus the will to work across borders. Norway has always been dependent on export. And we have this whole sort of diplomatic angle and we work mm. a lot with other countries. So that and that communication and, and learning uh, across the borders and sharing. And the- Well, absolutely. It's one of the benefits of being small, isn't it? You know you can't just rely. So you inevitably think about exporting and partnership because uh, through necessity. And But that's yeah. very, very good. So we haven't really talked about the COVID pandemic, and, uh, and uh, which is refreshing in some ways because most conversations <laughs> start and finish with that in the last 12 months. But given that last point around smaller cities and livable cities, yeah, are there any kind of big or small trends that you've kind of noticed or that you anticipate as a result of the last 12 months and what we've all been experiencing through the COVID pandemic? It's been a tough year. Oh, my God. It's been uh, really, really hard. And actually, Norway is struggling at the moment. And spikes and the delays in vaccines. The UK is doing really well. The US is doing really well. Mm. Norway and a lot of Europe is not. But what we actually been seeing is that a lot of the mindset has shifted. In the beginning, you know, it's wait and see kind of mentality. And then sort of the start that we need business and we need to be innovative here. So we need to turn up that dial. And we mm. saw a lot of our startups or as entrepreneurs were like, okay, so this method doesn't work. How can I work more digitally? How can I shift my mindset? If I'm selling through digital channels, should I cut my retail? Or how can I sort of pivot now and, and change mm. my business model so that in the short term, I can sell more online and I can change mm. my messaging that fits, you know, the online, the audiences for people sitting at home. So we actually turned a lot of our services to help companies take advantage of the opportunity saying, okay, so you have people sitting in front of the screens a lot more, you Mm. know, how can you actually sell through that channel versus just sitting and having your back order uh, in your storage? That has shifted a lot. But as a country, then again, with people sitting all over, uh, we also Mm. use a lot of time to look at, okay, so where are you and what can you do where you are? How can we build these these ecosystems locally? The whole tourism industry, for example, shifted. You know, now we look at the domestic destinations. We of have course, a yeah. very big focus on sustainability uh, in Norway, and and we need to also have tourists spread around and these smaller uh, companies and the small local hotels mm. and activity providers are struggling big time. But how can they also then shift to say, okay, so you're getting Norwegians to come and see you? They have a different mindset. They need to, you need to sell to them in a different way. So how do we help you sort of reach (laughs) them? And and that's, I think, has been 
the smaller companies probably a little more agile in that, you know, and that mm. they can shift and look into different ways of different channels to reach their customers, different communication methods to reach their customers and so forth. Easier pivoting, the larger companies have probably worked a lot more on their internal processes, internal mm. competence development, internal structures, you now redefining maybe product development and so on. And then sort of lining up to be ready to hit the markets again, big time when things are opening up more. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. And in the UK, in two weeks time, they're supposed to be opening up bars and restaurants and hairdressers. And I don't know if they will. It feels slightly strange. I haven't quite figured out what I'm going to do personally with my family when when that starts to open out. We'll need to see. I haven't had the vaccine yet, but hopefully soon. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. And also the way that the pandemic and then the more digital behaviors affects yeah where people live and how people work, I think is kind of fascinating. But I can't think of a better country to be sort of stuck than Norway in many ways. So I'm conscious of time. Uh, we're, we're nearly up. This podcast is called On the Edge. I'm curious what you're on the edge of or what Norway perhaps is on the edge of right now, Hager. That's a big question. I think on the edge <laughs> for myself personally is like, can we get out of this COVID and go travel again? I love yeah. exploring the world, meeting people, learning from other people and culture, even my own colleagues and just seeing them, you know, in person yeah. and actually having that personal interaction. I think you're more creative when you can actually meet people uh, personally. For Norway, we are very much on the brim of this sort of green tech innovation, but we also mm. call it green blue tech innovation. So we're focusing a lot on the on the ocean space above the mm. water and under the water and all these mm. phenomenal industry developments that we have in Norway and where we are a leading nation. And we think we have really a competitive advantage. And for us here now in the U.S., we're working a lot with the offshore wind segment, as I mentioned earlier, because it's opening up now here on the northeast. And it's mm. a huge opportunity with 11 different states now have committed to offshore wind energy, to renewable energy sources. So with Biden's new Green Deal, it opens up. It's a lot of challenges, of course, and a lot of hurdles, but it opens up a whole new avenue for uh, smart green solutions and mm. I do think Norway has something really valuable to offer and we're already seeing a couple of our larger companies getting big contracts and big deals in the offshore mm. wind industry that I'm very excited about and that's a big priority for us that's really exciting and from again where I'm sitting in the UK a small island country not too far away just across the water yeah. Uh, there's also investments being made into some of those technologies and sectors as well. So yep. hopefully some opportunities for collaboration between our two countries as well. So what's the best question I haven't asked you yet? What, what's the one thing that maybe... Uh, uh, I should have asked you in the last hour that I, that I didn't. Well, uh, related to innovation, maybe you should have asked me what's the biggest innovation out of Norway or something. Yeah, okay. In fact, I was going to ask you that. So why, why don't we finish there? What's the biggest innovation that you're excited about or proud of coming out of Norway? <laughs> it's sort of fun, but it's not the biggest innovation, but it's what we as Norwegians actually sometimes make fun of and saying that we need to to come up with smart solutions, smart green technologies, and we have a lot of them, but we say the cheese slicer, you know, <laughs> like an old uh, sort of Norwegian innovation that was happening and it was like the revolutionary thing back then. So we, we said we need any new technology beyond the, sli the cheese slicer, so... Thank you, Hager. I really enjoyed that. So now we know. The best thing since sliced bread, it's sliced cheese. I really enjoyed what Hager had to say about what the United States can learn from Norway and what Norway can learn from the United States. 
And the section on designing transitions towards a net zero economy feels very important right now. And there's a lot we can learn from what's been happening. But also, I appreciated what Hager had to say about the need for collaboration as a small but ambitious country to look and think globally. So check out the links in the episode description if you'd like to learn more. This podcast was brought to you by Liminal, the collective intelligence community. It's supported by all of our patrons, clients, and members. So thanks to all of you. If you want to find out a bit more about us, please visit www.weareliminal.co. And as ever, it'd be fantastic if you could like, rate, subscribe, or comment to this podcast, or share it with others who might like it as well. Until next time, please keep on connecting people and ideas. If you do, you never know what might happen. Thank you, and goodbye.